This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Blessed Be Magic. Blessed Be Magic is a jewelry brand for the modern witch, creating subtle and tasteful talisman jewelry to remind you of your magic. You're a modern witch living in the real world. And maybe it's not that your lifestyle is a secret, it's just that you're not exactly flying around on a broomstick wearing a pointy hat. And you are not alone. It can be hard to find subtle, witchy jewelry that you feel comfortable wearing every day. But that's why Blessed Be Magic was born. With over 700 five-star reviews, these tasteful talismans are designed to be worn with your existing jewelry collection or on their own. The beauty is, Blessed Be Magic jewelry won't draw unnecessary attention to your secret beliefs. Plus, you'll get to wear a constant reminder of your magic every day. Visit them at www.blessedbemagic.com, and magic is spelled with a C-K at the end, and use code WITCHWAVE for 15% off your first order. Check out Blessed Be Magic's modern take on classic magical symbols such as the Triple Goddess and Pentacle in their minimalist jewelry that you can wear every day, anywhere. Again, visit them at www.blessedbemagic.com, that's magic with a C-K, and use code WITCHWAVE for 15% off your first order. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by The Disco Dolls Studio. The Disco Dolls Studio is a boutique, salon, and art gallery located in Tampa, Florida. Started by lovely sisters, the hairstylist Christine and fashion designer Leanne, together with their dear friend and artist Beth. The mission at the Disco Dolls is sustainable luxury. They aim to create a culture of quality, sustainability, and careful consumerism. With a nod to the past, they wish to captivate, fascinate, enchant, and charm the observer. Every Disco Dolls vendor is hand-selected, most of them being women creators and small batch makers. From the hand-poured candles made just down the street, to the unique artisan jewelry and talismans they offer, each product is backed with the Disco Dolls' confidence. And the Disco Dolls' in-house clothing line features one-of-a-kind ceremonial pieces and the Uniform Project a collection of sustainably made classic silhouettes for every body. Made from eco-friendly bamboo, these garments are made for whatever the day may bring you, and they are beautiful. Locals are encouraged to stop in to experience the difference of quality sustainability five days a week, including Saturdays, and everyone can visit their online store at thediscodolls.com to browse all the boutique has to offer. Follow them on their social media accounts, including Instagram and Facebook, at The Disco Dolls. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Aesthetic Magic. Aesthetic Magic is a creative studio and product line that cultivates healing and magic through art and design and I absolutely adore them. Check out their bright, colorful products, such as their Prism Oracle, 
which uses the magic of color to help you tap into your intuition, and their book, Color, Form, and Magic, which delves into the psychology of color and shape in order to help you cultivate your creative spiritual practice. Both are available anywhere books are sold. And Witchwave listeners can receive 20% off their order by using the offer code WITCH on the Aesthetic Magic site. So go ahead to aestheticmagic.com, that's spelled A-E-S-T-H-E-T-I-C, magic.com, or over on Instagram at aestheticmagic.studio. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello and welcome to the Witch Wave. Today we're going to be talking about money. And I know this is a topic that people have so many feelings about. And it's something that I think about a lot as well. How can I make money and save money and spend money with a spirit of both abundance and integrity. Is such a thing even possible? To be honest, I thought a lot about money before I became a self-employed full-time writer, podcaster, witch, back when I was working for corporate America at one of the world's biggest stock photography companies. I was making steady, solid money rising in the ranks of a mid-sized media company and trying to use my power and my salary for good, while at the same time trying to work on all of my passion projects like writing and curating art shows and co-running an arts and events space here in Brooklyn, all of which took additional time and resources. It eventually became clear to me that I needed to take a leap of faith, and in 2017, I left the company so that I could focus my full attention and energy on things like starting this podcast and writing my first full-length book. It all took planning and support of all stripes from Matt, plus a heady brew of hard work, magic, and luck. And I'm so grateful that nearly five years in, I'm still able to make a living at what I love. But make no mistake, I now run a small business. I had to do things like learn QuickBooks and formalize Phantasmophile LLC and figure out how to pay quarterly taxes and sales tax and hire an assistant, hi Lara, and other contractors and collaborators and get sponsors, 
hi sponsors, and run a Patreon, hi backers, and many, many other things that go into making what I do sustainable, and to hopefully keep it all growing and thriving. It's a lot. And that's all on top of the creative part of the job, where I get to actually make the things that I make. Now, I don't do any of it alone, and I also fully acknowledge how many advantages I've been given to help pull it off. Certainly as a white person in America who grew up in a family that had enough, and as someone who is now in a partnership where my husband's day job also brings in income, not to mention our health insurance. I'll also add that we've chosen not to have kids, which is a very complicated, complex topic in itself. But I bring it up briefly here just to say that Matt and I don't have those extra financial expenses or that huge amount of energy expenditure that parenting requires and that so many other people do have. And you know what? It is still challenging to run my business. I love it and I wouldn't have it any other way. But it's so humbling when I see so many folks with less advantages than I've had who may also be parents or taking care of their own parents or not have a partner and so on who are somehow making it work. Or on the flip side, who are very understandably struggling to pay their bills, let alone actualize their dreams. And even with the support I've had, I've also needed to confront a lot of my own anxiety and self-confidence issues along the way to be able to maintain this highly creative, highly spiritual, highly unconventional career. I've had to learn how to ask for what I'm worth and turn things down and sit with the discomfort of uncertainty and drudgery. Even witches have to do accounting. Though I'll tell you a secret, now that I know what I'm doing, part of me kind of enjoys that part. But it was definitely a steep learning curve for me. And it's for all of these reasons and more that I was so excited to speak with today's guest, Jesse Susanna Karnatz, otherwise known as the Money Witch. Because her approach to financial well-being takes all of these factors and more into account. No pun intended. In our conversation, she shares how she has helped countless people, not only with their bookkeeping and number crunching, but also how she's helped them develop their emotional and spiritual financial support systems. And all of this with a hefty helping of magic. But before we get to that, first let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! Trisha writes, I've been an avid listener of the podcast since I started my spiritual journey. Listening to you and your guests and reading your book helped me to feel comfortable and excited about embracing the witch. 
I've always been fascinated with history, especially family history. And at the start of the pandemic, I threw myself into ancestry and doing genealogical work. I didn't really know anything about my family before the 1860s, and as the men in those times fought for the North and the Union against the South, I thought my family was likely more or less on the side of the good. Well, that did not turn out to be the case. In my research, I found numerous ancestors who owned slaves, had their slaves sold to pay for debt, even separated families. I had been working a lot with my ancestors, but when I found this information, I stopped. I know that every ancestor in my lineage wasn't a slave owner, and I'm trying to sort out how I can connect with them and perhaps leave the others out. But what I'm asking you about now is how do I honor those that were enslaved and harmed by my family? I've got a candle for them on my altar, and I pray for their comfort and peace in the afterlife and for their descendants too. But should I make offerings to them? And if so, what? In my professional life as a librarian, I am in a position where I can enact some small changes to the way our library describes marginalized groups in our catalog, and I have set up a few recurring donations. But should there be more, like offerings? Any guidance you could give me would be very appreciated. Thanks for your time. Blessed be. Hi, Trisha. I so appreciate your question, and I know how complicated this topic is for many people on all sides of history. First of all, no matter what lineage we come from, not all of our ancestors are necessarily gonna be great people. They could have been toxic or abusive or straight-up violent in their relationships or they may have profited off of the harm of others in countless ways. Now, unquestionably, slave ownership is its own particular abhorrent case of this, and there is simply no excuse for it. It was and is a vile practice that, especially here in America, some people particularly white people, are only just beginning to fully acknowledge and reckon with. I also want to be honest with you and just acknowledge that in terms of genealogy, this is not my area of expertise because my own people came over to the States from Eastern Europe relatively recently in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. And so while I've certainly had to reckon with other shameful behavior in my family's past, slave ownership is not one that I'm currently aware of. So I will first of all recommend that you seek out readings and teachings by people who know more than I do about this topic, specifically this topic of our ancestors and spirit work in regards to slave ownership. And the words that you can start Googling with are ancestral lineage healing. 
you will find a whole host of people who have written about this topic, who have podcasts and teach workshops on this topic, and who specifically acknowledge what to do when you encounter any kind of shameful behavior in your family's history, and certainly specifically around slavery. Even better is if you can find folks who specialize in whatever lineage it is you hail from. I promise they're out there and they are doing this work. But even though my own ancestors weren't American slave owners that I know of, I still live in this country and have to acknowledge many of our founders and presidents and so on were certainly slave owners, And I certainly, as a white person, benefit from systemic racism. I also want to acknowledge that many of our ancestors and founders here in America were inflictors of genocide upon the indigenous people who lived and still live here. For me, when reckoning with a shameful past, it is about trying to hold many truths at the same time, and not looking away from any of it. So in my opinion, and perhaps there are others who might disagree, but I think that we do not need to ignore or erase the history of people who may have contributed positive things to the world, who also did absolutely abhorrent things. We can acknowledge both of these things at once. I believe America to be a beautiful country founded on incredible ideals of freedom. And it is also a place where racism runs rampant and always has. And it's a place that needs to do better, much, much better. And we as individuals can acknowledge both the shadow and the light. In fact, I think it's the only healthy thing to do. And then we must commit to do the work to try to contribute to creating more good in this moment and moving forward. So in regard to your ancestors... I don't think you have to erase them or ignore them or stop working with them necessarily. In fact, I don't know that such a thing is really possible. And it's certainly not based in truth. Their past is part of you. It just is. It's in your DNA. It's part of your legacy. That doesn't mean you are responsible for what they did, but it does mean that pretending it didn't happen and I'm not saying you're doing that you're certainly not in writing to me and acknowledging this and thinking about this but I don't think ignoring it entirely or stopping working with them is necessarily the answer I think you can feel grateful to them for any good that they passed down to you for your health or your strength certainly for your life They gave that to you. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. And you can also express to them your feelings about what they did. And I think it's a beautiful and powerful gesture that you are also lighting candles 
to the people that were enslaved and harmed by your family and to their descendants. I really, really love that as a gesture. But I also think that reconciling with the past is only part of the work. You are now alive here in the present, in the material world, and you are able to use your resources, your magic, your money to fight slavery and racism and injustice of all kinds, however you can. I love that you're doing this already in regards to the books that you're highlighting at the library where you work and your donations. And I would ask how you can maybe reframe these and make those acts of reparation a more consistent part of your spiritual practice. Because let me emphasize this, donating money and energy is not separate from doing spiritual work. It is spiritual work. That is an offering. In fact, I think it's one of the best offerings you can do. So if you can come up with some way to ritualize your reparations and maybe express to your ancestors and to the people that they harmed why you are choosing to do this work in the material world to heal some of the harm that has occurred between them and to ensure that your own life is dedicated to harm reduction. I think it's really going to help how you feel about your own family and more importantly, how you feel about your own purpose and your own practice in the here and now. And it will certainly help the cause of justice. I'm not sure where you're donating already, but perhaps you can additionally set up a monthly donation to Black Lives Matter or the Southern Poverty Law Center or the Audre Lorde Project or the Okra Project or other organizations that are devoted to the liberation of Black Americans. Can you also join an organization such as Showing Up for Racial Justice, which is an organization for white people who are committed to dismantling racism? Because I promise you, lighting candles and speaking to your ancestors is absolutely important, and it really does help. I think it may certainly help them, to be honest. But manifesting material change here in the present moment is the most potent and healing magic that we have. Now, on to my guest, Jessie Susanna Karnatz, better known as the Money Witch brings capitalism-critical, shame-free education to healers, hustlers, and creatives in order to catalyze change in their financial lives. She believes healing our finances will bring blessing to our lives, our lineages, and our communities. The Money Witch offers education, money magic products, and intuitive financial coaching online 
and in person in the Bay Area on unceded Ohlone land. And she has a brand new book out now called Money Magic, Practical Wisdom and Empowering Rituals to Heal Your Finances. I love this book, and I'm so happy that she joined me to talk all about it. Jessie Susanna joined me from her home in the Bay Area via Zoom. Jessie Susanna Carnatz, welcome to The Witch Wave. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am so thrilled to have you here. First of all, congratulations on your brand new book, Money Magic. I'm so, so thrilled that it exists. Oh my gosh. I'm very impatient as an Aries, so I just am so grateful to have it fully done and out in the world and just birthed. Yeah, it feels great. How wonderful. And it's come just in time for tax season. I am well into doing my taxes right now, and I think your timing is impeccable, I must say. Thank you. I'll resist the urge to ask you questions about your taxes. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe later, maybe later. I'm going to confess something to you. I've found that a lot of the ways that people in our community, the witchcraft community, talk about money and manifestation and abundance and all of this, a lot of times I get turned off by it because it either feels like it's putting a lot of the blame on people for not being good at money or finances and so on when we know that there's a lot of personal issues around why somebody might have trouble figuring this out. And of course, we have huge systems of oppression that keep people, especially here in America, from getting a handle on their money. Also, sometimes I find it to be like very fantastical thinking like, oh, if you just use this herb or this gem, suddenly you'll be rich. And it's like, we, we all know that that's not how this works either. So I really appreciate your approach, which certainly is magical and spiritual, but also addresses those very issues. So I would love for you to talk about that and what you wanted to make sure money magic does and does not convey or promise for people. I feel like hitting that sweet spot for me means fully facilitating the work, a process, a conversation, tools where people can identify and step into their sovereignty as fully as they feel like ready or able to do in a moment, but to not engage in spiritual bypassing about it. I work at what I call the three angles of healing. And I say, if you want to address an issue, have healing on an issue, which to me, healing is just like movement of energy. So if you want to see movement on an issue, you will see the most impact in your healing, shifting, changing process with that. If you address it from all three angles, there's the logistical, practical angle, There's the magical energetic angle and that's the herbs and the crystals you're saying. And then there's what I call spiritual emotional. And I put spiritual and emotional together because that is really about your spirit's individual path on this earth and what your spiritual curriculum is. You need to be doing the logistical part, like applying for the job, doing your taxes, doing your bookkeeping, 
you need to be looking at what are the particular blocks and issues that money is going to bring up in your life. That's that spiritual, emotional angle. And then, of course, as witches, we're always going to be taking responsibility for the fact that we do have an energetic impact on the situation. So does plants, so do crystals, so do angels and guides, and we can ask them to ally with us and kind of put that level of work on it. But all together, it's what creates the holistic shift. I love that. Let's unpack that phrase spiritual bypassing because it's something that people have started talking more about in the last few years. In particular, when it comes to money, I do see this as something that a lot of magical people do. So what is spiritual bypassing? Where does that come from, that phrase? I think so much of the spiritual discourse around money stems out of or is like in the lineage of law of attraction work. Yes. And that's why it has that spiritual bypassing element. It's a personal problem element to it because I feel like that really comes like right out of right, that lineage. Which, which basically says if you don't get what you want, it's because you're putting negative energy out there and you're not attracting it. And it puts a lot of the blame and onus on the individual, right? Yeah. And kind of like you should do less work. Like you shouldn't be like working for it at all. <laughs> like if you put it on your vision board, that should be enough. Like put a Ferrari on your vision board, but then it doesn't really focus on putting in work and saving money and budgeting and all of that stuff that would help mm -hmm. you get a Ferrari. For the most part, law of attraction does not take into consideration or feel like it needs to engage at all systemic oppression mm -hmm. or systemic privilege. And since that system is based on economics, built for economic purpose, and is so intertwined in our current economic system globally, really, but certainly in the United States, it's just sort of delusional on a level, right? Like it's not understanding a dimension of reality. And to me, one of the beautiful things about spiritual people, mystical people, witches, is that we do have access to more dimensions of reality. Mm. Mm. But seeing the systems of systemic oppression is also a dimension of reality. So it's unfortunate to see the delusions of privilege find themselves in the spiritual community, in people who are gifted in multidimensional seeing, but choose or don't see that dimension. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what is spiritual bypassing? Spiritual bypassing is a term that was originated in the 80s with a Buddhist teacher named John. I think it's Wellwood. It's in my book, so I should yes. know it. I wrote that down. It's John Wellwood. Okay, yes. perfect. It's basically using spirituality, using spiritual concepts, using spirit speak to avoid the work, to avoid like human experience and to ignore issues of privilege and oppression. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love that you go at this topic really directly in the book and that you acknowledge, look, you and I, we're white ladies, despite any hardships that we might have and challenges that we might have grown up with, it's still going to be relatively easier for us or we're going to have more advantages or more privilege compared to a lot of people of color in this country where the systems of economics are already stacked against them. And I appreciate that you acknowledge that. And I appreciate that you also then aren't like, you know, I hear, I mean, it's a very 
often right-wing belief, this belief that like, oh, all Americans should pick themselves up by their bootstraps and the American dream is there for everyone. And if you can't make it happen for yourself, it's just a failure of your own vision or your own drive or your own skill. You talk about that a lot in your book and you talk about some of the processes that we need to go through on either side of the equation, whether we have privilege or we don't have privilege, to healing some of those feelings that might come up when it comes to dealing with the really unfair policies and politics and truths of economics, especially in this country. So I love that. And I also love how much this book is really about emotional work. Certainly, you talk about the magic and the energetics of money, but a lot of this book really is about emotions and healing our emotions around money. And I'd love to hear you talk about why you put so much emphasis on that, on the emotional and the spiritual aspects of money. I think that it's the key to making your finances easier. Just having like a more easeful, peaceful relationship with money is going to make movement on a logistical level always. And people tend to try to do the logistical pieces of finance, right? Like, oh, I'm going to make a budget or, you know, I'm going to save money or I'm going to do my taxes on time or whatever your particular challenge is. And they try over and over sort of the same things, often don't succeed in making those habits stick and then internalize it not working as shame, right? Like something's wrong with me that I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I think just like anything, it's that question, well, why? Why didn't I do it? Because the shame answer is simplistic. It says, well, there's just something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. I'm fucked up in a way that mm-hmm. other people aren't. Mm-hmm. But if we flesh that out and want to get into the details, it's like, No, you're injured just like anyone else. And what are the specifics of those injuries so that they can be addressed? Because when there is not so many gaping wounds, you know, in any area of our life, right? Like dating, money, food, relationship with our family of origin, we're going to find ourselves like moving down that healing path being able to utilize more sophisticated strategies and really get more mature. Mm -hmm. And that maturity is a sense of kind of like moving down a path, which to me means that you're also moving farther or deeper into your evolutionary purpose, the purpose of your human life. Mm -hmm. You have a phrase in your book that I love so much. You write, Not taking care of our finances is a symptom of Mm, mm self-abandonment. And I love that because I completely understand why people might want to avoid doing their taxes or not come up with, I don't know, a five-year plan or whatever it is. And yet they're only hurting themselves in not doing that. So can you talk a little bit about how our financial well-being is part of our well-being in general? We have to deal with money multiple times every single day of our adult lives. And it's one of our most primary relationships. I think one of the only things I would say we interact with as much as money is food, right? Where it's like multiple times a day, you have to interact with this thing. 
So in order to be comfortable in our human lives, in our human bodies, we have to get comfortable in our relationship with money or we will suffer, which many of us are and have been suffering because of our relationships with money. It decreases joy in our life. It decreases pleasure, increases anxiety. And that's one of the things about the avoidance piece because avoidance is like an extremely common strategy that's taken when it comes to money. And avoidance seems like you're doing yourself a favor. Like I think subconsciously it can even feel like self-care because you're sort of like, oh no, like you work hard, you know, like you don't have to do that thing. That's so mm-hmm. whatever. It's uncomfortable. It can be unpleasant or overwhelming. So, or just boring yeah. <laughs> and tiring or confusing, disempowering, you know, if your relationship to like numbers or math is challenging or triggering. But I think that creating more ease there is going to allow you to realize that ultimately like everyone does want to be successful with their money and easeful with their money. And so that avoidance doesn't do anything to achieve that end goal. It's sort of like a self-soothing rather than a Mm self-love. And the avoidance really ultimately just also comes along with anxiety, underlying anxiety. Also, it's bad for your self-esteem. So then that's Mm -hmm. injurious as well. And it does perpetuate these patterns of neglect or self-abandonment, right? So if you're coming from a history where that's a part of your story of feeling mistreated, At the end of the day, you on some level know that you are contributing to continuing perpetuating that mistreatment of your very basic survival and thriving in this world on a material level when you don't take care of your finances, when you avoid your finances. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's really, really well said. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Zoo's Incense, who make some of my favorite incense on earth. I love that Zoo's Incense is an all-natural, handmade product, and that all of their ingredients are organic or wild-crafted using whole plants, seeds, roots, woods, tree resins, and tinctures. Zoos has nine incense blends currently available, and each one smells like a sacred temple. They also now have monthly incense subscriptions for you incense heads, and these are discounted over their regular prices. Zoos also offers incense making kits for your own incense crafting experiments at home, and they now also offer gorgeous hand-cast concrete burners, as well as charcoal, raw aromatics like frankincense and myrrh, and incense supplies. And on top of all that, Zoos also offers seasonal incense-making workshops online, and you can keep tabs on that by checking out their website. Now, I adore Zoo's incense so much that I've collaborated with them on my very own Witch Wave Incense Blend, which is inspired by my matron moon goddess Artemis and contains sandalwood, orris root, myrrh, black storax, mugwort, ambret seed tincture, and organic ylang-ylang essential oil, and which smells like nectar and ambrosia. 
The Witch Wave blend is available exclusively in the Witch Wave shop at witchwavepodcast.com slash shop. So be sure to check that out. And you can find Zuz's other bewitching blends, such as Sunsmoke and Bacchus, on their website, which is zuzincense.com. That's Z-O-U-Z incense.com. And best of all, promo code WITCHWAVE gets you 10% off of orders from their site. And if you are ordering from their site, you'll also get free shipping on orders over $35. And this works with the WITCHWAVE promo code too. So go ahead and check them out at zoosincense.com and use promo code WITCHWAVE for 10% off. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Tarot for the Wild Soul, an eight-week award-winning self-guided tarot mentorship for folks who desire to open to the next level of tarot practice. Created by intuitive tarot teacher and prior Witch Wave guest, the wonderful Lindsay Mack. Tarot for the Wild Soul is an invitation to explore the tarot through a spiralic, seasonal, cyclical framework. Laying our lives down next to these archetypes, exploring each of the 78 cards through the lens of tarot anchoring, and looking to them as opportunities that can help to draw us closer to ourselves. Through a blend of audio and video lessons, gorgeous workbooks, and access to the Wild Soul Q&A database, participants will be guided on a supportive and empowering journey of soul-guided tarot learning, one that can help us to live our practice and open to our innate wisdom around these cards. The Tarot for the Wild Soul course starts on March 21st, 2022, and enrollment is open until Thursday, March 17th. To sign up or learn more, go to tarotforthewildsoul.com courses. And be sure to use the code WITCH for 10% off your tuition. That's tarotforthewildsoul.com slash courses, and the code WITCH gets you 10% off your tuition. I'm a big fan of therapy and have seen firsthand how much talking to a professional has helped me manage my own anxiety and stress and trauma so that I can live the fullest life I possibly can. I've also seen how it's changed the lives of so many people that I care about for the better as well. And that's why I am encouraging you to check out BetterHelp, which is an online counseling service that can provide you with your own licensed professional counselor to talk to via video or phone sessions. And it doesn't have to be that heavy of a topic. Maybe you just need a place to be heard and have an outside perspective on your everyday struggles with your job or your relationships. We all have so much that we're carrying with us these days between our personal issues and, need I say, global issues. And it's just a lot. And I'm telling you, 
talking it all through with someone who is trained and objective and not a friend or family member is such a gift. Because their job, their actual job, is to listen to you and help you work through your feelings about it all. So please consider reaching out to the folks at BetterHelp, and they'll connect you with a counselor who you can start chatting with in under 24 hours. And they've been doing remote sessions since before it became the norm, so they've built a platform that's accessible, convenient, and secure. Also know that BetterHelp offers financial aid to those who qualify, and they make it really easy to switch counselors so you can find one that you truly click with. Best of all, Witchwave listeners get 10% off your first month of counseling by going to betterhelp.com slash witchwave. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash witchwave. Please take care of your mental well-being. It is so necessary, and there is absolutely support out there for you. Do what over a million people have done already, and head on over to betterhelp.com witchwave, find a great counselor to talk to, and know that I am here rooting for you. Feel well, and take good care with BetterHelp. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Jessie Susanna Carnatz. So Jessie, Susanna, we were talking a little bit earlier about capitalism and how you're trying through your book to help the reader heal their own inner, I'll call them demons or resistance around money, while fully acknowledging that this is happening within this larger context of capitalism. And I know a lot of witchy people, they're very anti-capitalist, and I have a lot of anti-capitalist values as well. However, we do live in a capitalist society. And so I wonder how you might suggest people reconcile those two things. I also have a lot of anti-capitalist sentiments. I call myself capitalism critical in my bio and in my work because obviously what I'm doing is helping people navigate the systems of capitalism, which I would not call anti-capitalist work. It's a more harm reduction strategy, but I do have a lot of respect and care for anti-capitalist people. And I think that position is essential. That needs to be held as a stance in our communities. Mm -hmm. I really, truly believe in capitalism and colonialism as a magic spell, a very powerful energetic entity as an agrigore that we have strong communal relationships to. In capitalism too, if you go into like the esoterics, Side of it, right? Like all the Freemason stuff. And there's definitely some stuff afoot, you know, and has been over the years. There's the eye of providence on our damn dollar bills. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, yes. for sure. I think that something that the magic community can do is that it's really important work to take an anti-capitalist stance, not just politically, but magically, and to kind of intervene in that magical sphere because those things like you were mentioning earlier you know like the narratives the bootstrap narrative the american dream narrative those are magic spells those are like incantations of magic spells every time we say them over and over they perpetuate this sort of illusion yeah dreamy i mean i would say delusion right mm. like this dreamy delusion that this is how it is. This is natural. 
this is how it will always be. This is ordained by God. Colonialism really comes from that belief as well, right? Like the monarchy believing that they're ordained by God and that the spread of their belief is ordained by God. And I think that that is really present in capitalism as well, energetically. So I think doing our healing work, healing our individual relationships with money makes us strong enough to get in the ring, right? And combat that. mm -hmm, With that, yeah. Mm, That's really, really interesting. In some ways, it seems like you think of this work in money magic, almost like what I consider counter magic. It's a counter spell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's almost getting all the, you know, it's spiritual warfare, really, in a way. So let's talk about you, because I find your personal story to be really, really interesting. You... I'm just going to say it. I I know we shouldn't judge people based on appearances, but like you really don't look like a financial guru and and (laughs) you're this really accomplished financial coach and you've done people's taxes for years and all of this. And I'm looking at you, you're wearing like leopard print, although Susie Orman would be proud of you, but but you're a witch. You engage with magic and oils and gems and you live in this beautiful, bright house and you in a wonderful, refreshing way are this very different image of what many people think of when they think of like people in the financial world. So how did you come upon becoming the money witch? It is definitely a long meandering tale that is the culmination of all of the weird little things in my toolbox. And I love that for me, you know, that Mm -hmm. I found my little weird niche in the world. But it sort of starts with my 20s. I spent most of my 20s in the sex work industry, specifically in strip clubs. Mm -hmm. At least half of that time was spent working at the Lusty Lady, which was a peep show in San Francisco that was iconically unionized as one of like the only successful unionization efforts within the sex industry in the United States. I want to say 2005, maybe, or 2004. We were all laid off. They were going to close the shop down. We were already an organized labor force. So we were like, let's organize to buy it as a worker on cooperative. So I was on the founding board of directors in that process. And I would say that was my deepening into small business practice, you know, because then I'm learning about articles of incorporation. Then Mm -hmm. I'm learning about valuing a business, like valuation. I'm learning about sales. I'm learning about marketing. I'm learning about HR, all of these things and just sort of business strategy. And I got involved from there in the larger worker cooperative, worker-owned co-op community in the Bay Area and started to see a lot of money wounds in the co-op community, right? There's all these really passionate businesses just really cool, passionate, dedicated people who had the people skills to run these businesses. But a lot of them were like constantly in a cash scarcity. And also there is a lack of dedicated professionals, right? Like legal or financial professionals who knew about co-ops and co-op finances and co-op taxes and those kinds of things. And I imagine sex work specific as well. Also as well. Yeah. There's definitely a few people. It's just like observing the kind of intricacies of money in both of those 
financial spheres led to me starting a business with a partner, sort of two partners in 2008. And it was like very similar to Money Witch, I sort of say without like the spiritual aspect, if Mm -hmm. that makes any sense, right? Like it was like the coaching and the taxes and bookkeeping, but it was designed to kind of have like an accessible aesthetic and to be more literate in some of these like alternative economies. And that did not work out. Mm -hmm. Not for a lack of value in the business idea. Sure, sure. And then at that point, you know, I had also done all this work to create a business, right? Like create my own practice, create this business. So I had that experience as well. Mm -hmm. One of the things that made that business not work out is I got pregnant. I was like really sick for probably three or four months, like morning sickness, quote unquote morning sickness for three or four months. Mm -hmm. When I kind of came out of the end of that, was in 2012. My kid was like two and a half. We were living in this big communal punk house and we got evicted. Mm -hmm. I decided to get divorced. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, I am a single mom to a toddler with no job in the second dot-com boom in Mm -hmm. one of the most expensive cities in the world. And I am a hustler. So I just was like, okay, I'm going to figure it out. So I did a bunch of other things. It's in the book, right? Like I was like, so I tried to go back and go to dancing. Every time God is just like, no, aggressively shutting down all of my options. So I tried to go back to dancing. I was selling weed in the park for a while, which was very lucrative, but again, shut down by God very aggressively. And then I started two businesses at the same time. I started a postpartum doula practice because I am trained in that. Mm. And money, which because I had been doing my friend's taxes or that kind of stuff. And I started doing coaching for a friend of mine who had a jewelry business and it was going really well. And then she, you know, recommended me out and I got in contact with some other businesses that really respected her. And then I was like working with multiple small businesses in the Bay Area, kind of like witchy product businesses. And that business just really grew. So I just trusted the path and shut down the doula business and went with it. Well, it's almost like you're a financial doula. <laughs> you've combined it. Yeah. You've combined mm-hmm. both of these things. And so were you at this point in your story also incorporating magic and ritual into your coaching or did that come a little bit later? When I started that business in 2012, that was Money Witch. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That was the the bit, the inklings, right? Yes. Of money, which, mm-hmm. So where did the idea to combine magic and spirituality and the pragmatic, practical side of money, where did that come from? That is from starting with the co-op community stuff. Then in my previous business, Brass Tax, we would go do bookkeeping at organizations or I would work with people. I just realized you can give people the logistical tools and that does not solve the problem fully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can sit down with somebody who has a small business and be like, okay, here's how you do your bookkeeping. Here's why you need to do it every month. Here's why you need to pay your estimated quarterly taxes. 
here's what you need to gather for your tax return. And I learned this through being a tax preparer. I mean, I knew it before at that time, but from being a tax preparer, it's been solidified in my brain. Like I can say that to somebody once a year, every year for five years, and we can circle back to tax time. And it's like, oh, have you done these things? No. Mm. Okay. So I'm like, why? Like, why? Yeah. Just like, yeah. it's just the why, right? Like, okay, yeah. the plan isn't working. Why? I have a Scorpio rising. I'm like, what I say, like a Nancy Drew ass bitch. So I'm just like, <laughs> very like, okay, but what is really going on here? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I just was like, okay, well, let's do the practical stuff, but let's figure out what's really going on. That's generally what people need is to figure out what's really going on. And I can see how then you would be approaching it from like a psychological standpoint. Okay, let's talk about your childhood. Let's talk about your shame. Let's talk about this, that. But I'm also curious about the magical part. In this book, I should have said earlier, yes, you have some amazing exercises for people to confront some of their spiritual and emotional I keep calling them demons. I don't know if that's the right word, but roadblocks, I'm a, obstacles. I use demons very casually. <laughs> I feel pretty casual about demons, demonic entities. Good. Just checking. But you also do have sections where you you recommend certain gemstones, you recommend oils and things like that. So where did that piece come from in terms of like weaving that together? Were you raised with any kind of witchcraft practice? Was this something you got more engaged with with your witchy clients? Like I would love to know about the witch piece. I was raised Unitarian Universalist. I was sort of raised with a very broad spiritual belief. I just have been a very spiritual person since childhood. And I am a witch. I am witchy. I am also more broadly spiritual. And I'm also religious. Mm -hmm. I would say that those practices all live simultaneously to me. I don't feel stressed about them being separate things. And I just have always been a person who really believes in God's and spirit. And, you know, that Mm -hmm. energy flows through everything that I do. And it's not so much that at some point I was like, let's combine these things together. It's just more that that doesn't live outside of anything for me. Mm -hmm. Like it's an integral part of everything that exists because for me, I see it as a dimension. And because I feel very attuned to the spiritual dimension of life, they just are so interwoven into Mm -hmm. everything that I do. The coaching that I do, I call it intuitive financial coaching. People tell me what is going on for them financially. I use obviously my skill set my education, my experience, the cumulative knowledge that I've achieved by talking to so many people about money and by thinking about money. But a lot of what I do just comes straight from God. So I'm able to do what I do because of the support that I receive from the spiritual world for this business and for this job. I don't even really like coach people. It's a lot of channeling. Mm. And it's the same when I teach workshops or it's the same when I write the book. I feel very much that I am a vessel for this healing. I'm a uniquely 
qualified human vessel for it because I have a really specific emanation that was like honed through my individual path, which took me down all these little alleyways where I sort of like picked up things for the toolbox so that I would be like prepared to do this. But at the end of the day, I feel like I'm often there to deliver to people like messages from spirit, messages from ancestors, just messages from the spiritual world. And so that's what the work is. It wasn't really like a conscious decision. Mm, I love that. And I have to say, like, your approach really resonates with me. So full disclosure, I was really interested in money as a young adult. It felt really important for me to just like have a handle on my finances. And it did feel really intimidating and overwhelming to learn because especially I'll say as a woman and especially as someone who considers herself creative and spiritual. And I think a lot of people tell themselves that story like, oh, I'm a creative. And so I'm not a numbers person. But I started reading, I, I brought her up earlier, Susie Orman, and, you know, lover, hater, feel any which way mm -hmm. about her. A lot of her books really helped me as a young person in my 20s. And yet her style is not quite my style. I appreciate the knowledge she gave me. And I read a bunch of other books back then that helped me just with strategies and tools and broke down concepts that seemed really overwhelming. I, I was like, oh, wait, I'm a smart person. I can figure this out. And yet there really wasn't that piece that engaged with my spirituality. I'll say also my aesthetics. I love how in this book you mention, yeah, it sucks to do your taxes or your budgeting, but like get yourself beautiful files and like mm -hmm. a pen you love to use and make a money altar and, you know, like really engage with every side of yourself and infuse the way you approach your money, not in this like compartmentalized way, but like bring your whole self to it. I don't know. I, ju I just really appreciate your holistic point of view. Thank you. I think that that is part of the counter magic piece is like taking ownership of that stuff. The reason it feels like it has to be compartmentalized is because in order to be good with money, we feel like we have to go fraternize with the enemy, right? Or it's like it mm -hmm. has to be ugly. It has to be oppressive. It has to be dry. Or it doesn't have to be, but those may be the experiences that people have had. One of my very first clients was someone who was opening a witch store and she just was like, I just need to run all this by somebody. I just like kind of can't bear to go to the bank and tell it all to some weird guy and have him look at me like I'm crazy. You know, like I mm -hmm. need to tell it to someone who's going to be like, yes, we can just talk about the money without the like bias involved. Yeah. So being like, oh, no, this is mine. I have permission to be a financial authority. And I love that word, right? Because it's like about authorship, authoring your own financial story, building your own financial path around your values, your ethics, your aesthetic. Do money, but do it your way, which doesn't mean avoiding it, right? It's like <laughs> you have to do it your way. So if you're a creative and spiritual person, you need to engage with money in a creative and spiritual way. And you can do that. And I remember like uh, an herbalist client of mine, one time I was like, show up to your money and interact with it, build intimacy with it in the same way that you would do with a plant, because that speaks to you. Like if you're meeting a plant, you would be like, 
What does it have to say? What's true about it? Like, let me explore it. Let me listen to it. And I'm just like, you can treat your money in that same way. You can use your brain, your gifts, your tool set. I love that. On that note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. You've heard me say that Mithras candles look and smell absolutely divine. But did you know that when you buy them, you are also supporting a small business that focuses on sustainable methods and ethical practices, like environmental sustainability? Using beeswax from regional honey farms, Mithras candles support the pollinators who sustain our food systems, and beeswax is a carbon-neutral source material. Mithras also supports social change. They make monthly donations for social and environmental justice to organizations like the Xerxes Society for Pollinator Conservation, the National Resources Defense Council, and the NAACP. Lastly, as if you needed even more reasons to buy Mithras candles, beeswax candles have health benefits for your body and your home too. Burning them purifies the air of dust, mold, and other pollutants, and their golden illumination allows you to do your nightly tasks without disturbing your sleep or circadian rhythms. So what are you waiting for? Buy some Mithras candles today and go to MithrasCandle.com. That's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com. And use offer code WITCHWAVE at checkout for 15% off your first order of 2022. And be sure to follow them on Instagram at Mithras Candle. Bring Mithras candles into your life and bask in their gorgeous glow and goodness. The Path 365, Daily Direction for Ladies and Mothers, Witches and Others, is a book that allows you to open your mind, body, and spirit to a path that is uniquely yours. As a gateway spirituality guide, it weaves coping mechanisms identified in neuroscience and mental health that address mind, body, and spirit, and incorporates them into an easy-to-read daily guide. Author Susie Newell received her doctorate from the University of Cincinnati with a focus on coping mechanisms. This book gently encourages people to open their mind to a spiritual path that feels right for them. Like a daily oracle read for the soul, The Path 365 takes you through a journey of positive self-discovery and encourages you to incorporate your practice into every aspect of your being. Whether you have a solid spiritual practice already or are exploring your options, The Path 365 is a unique guide to creating a path of your own. Visit them at thepath365.com for ordering options, and be sure to use code WHICHWAVE for free shipping. And you can give The Path 365 a follow on your favorite social media platform. We are all in this thing together. Create a path that works for you. Would you like even more Witchwave? Then come join us on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus Witchwave Plus episodes, ad-free Witchwave episodes, and detailed show notes for all. 
Rewards also include magical merch and giveaways, early heads up about my workshops before they sell out, and all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven, where I lead monthly rituals and video chats, and where you can connect to a community of other wonderful witches. So head on over to patreon.com slash witchwave and sign up. It's a fabulous way to get more magic in your life and to support the show. Thanks so much. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with the money witch, Jessie Susanna Carnatz. So, Jessie Susanna, I would love to hear you really address some of the more typical blocks that people have around finances. We talked about shame. What are some tools that people can lean on to help dissolve that shame or shed a little light on shame when it comes to money? I think with shame, sometimes just getting a little language, letting the reality of the shame see the light of day, right? Like cracking the door open, airing it out is the medicine. That's the antidote because shame is so private and it's so secretive, even from ourselves. So I really think just being like, oh yeah, that is shame. And shame is a waste of time. (laughs) And it's illogical, which doesn't always help, but it's good to just like break that down, right? Shame means there's something uniquely wrong with you that is unchangeable and no one else has this problem, but you have this problem. And it's wild how completely insane that is, but how we all believe it about Mm. multiple things Mm -hmm. in our lives, like almost every day. Shame is internalized oppression. Shame is counter to the spiritual belief that we deserve to exist and we exist for a purpose. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like believing any of those things, remembering, reminding ourselves of any of those things is just a good salve to put on shame. Mm. The flip side of that is desire. And you Mm. write a lot about in the book about desire. And I've been focusing a lot around the negative feelings that we can have when dealing with money, but I'd love to talk about some of the positives and the ideas of manifesting and visioning and dreaming big. So why was it important for you to address desire and our feelings around desire when it comes to our financial well-being? I think for a lot of political people or anti-capitalist people, capitalism critical people, We don't give ourselves a lot of permission to be in touch with, center, explore our desires around material in the material realm. And generally, it takes people kind of getting to a point where they're like, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of being broke. I have financial obligations. Whether you have a kid, you're supporting your family, your parents. We're just like, I just need to allow there to be more focus on that. But even that, again, is going to be like obligation-based. It's not counter-revolutionary to dream of 
things in the material realm. And just because you dream of something or you deeply desire something doesn't even mean you have to go for it. You could be like, I have a fantasy of being a billionaire, but I actually am not going to try to implement that. Mm -hmm. But I think the piece about like really understanding yourself and understanding what you really want is a missing piece of the puzzle. So it's really like permission to dream. Yeah. You write in the book about how there are people with this capitalist critical attitude who feel like, who am I to try to get more money when there are people in this world who have so little? And I so appreciate the sentiment of it, but it also kind of doesn't actually do anybody any good if you are suffering, right? I'm kind of paraphrasing what you wrote about, but I'd love for you to expand upon that a little bit. I think the threshold point that most people or political people, you know, anti-capitalist people or creative people think of as like, if I had more than this, more than what I need, you know, that I would be taking money away from other people or that I'm like intensely contributing to global inequities, that number is pretty low, right? Like people start feeling uncomfortable when they start thinking about, you know, 60 or $70,000 or they're making $100,000. But I'm like, Global inequity is not a result of middle class existence. Mm -hmm. Global inequity is about wealth hoarding, which happens on a level that most people cannot even comprehend. Exactly. It's like these CEOs of companies that make hundreds of times more money than their lowest paid worker. Yeah. And it's also monarchies. It's also the Vatican. (laughs) It's also educational institutions, the Ivy League. There is statistics that are like shocking if you look at land ownership in the United States and who owns what, even Mm -hmm. like farmland, the way that those kinds of things are consolidated, you know, and it's the same as you know, us all kind of being like, oh, I'm so stressed because I like didn't bring my grocery bag. And now I'm like taking a plastic bag from the grocery store. Global warming is like all on me. But what about these corporations? On the other hand with that, I'm like, we are all contributing, right? So I think it's a delusion that by being like a low paid worker, you are not contributing to global inequity because like any of us in the United States, like are contributing to that just by buying literally anything, right? Like going to Target, going to Amazon, going to the 99 cent store, all of that is also contributing to global inequity. Like you're not fighting it through your individual suffering. Mm -hmm. And the idea of like what an individual person needs has to include healthcare, has to include retirement, it has to include savings. It's not like what you really need is just enough to just scrape by one day at a time or paycheck to paycheck. That's not actually what you really need. So that kind of idea of like, if I take any more than that, I am contributing to like an equitable system. There's just no opt out of the inequitable system. Mm. It's really about like an acceptance of that using your resistance energy towards that wisely and not tapping in resistance to your personal finances in lieu of like resistance to systemic inequality. Yeah. 
That makes sense. I also completely agree that like most of the problems that are being caused right now are happening on this huge global corporate scale that there's no need for us to feel like we need to pay for the sins of those large behemoths, right? Yeah, it's like we are a part of the behemoth, but I think often we weigh our human effort as being like much more significant than it is. Mm. It reminds me, so it's like I am religiously Jewish and in Judaism, it's like you cannot change the world, like nor are you free from the obligation to like try to do so. Yeah. So both and. Absolutely. It always comes down to both and, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So listen, in our final moments together, if you had any wisdom that you feel compelled to impart, you know, just imagining people listening to us right now, is there any message or any piece of advice that you feel like sharing around money and finance for our listeners? I think first I would say treat yourself with love, treat yourself gently, and also treat yourself with accountability and, you know, expectation that you're going to show up to do the work. That combination of loving kindness and structure are both essential pillars of self-love. When you find yourself showing up to the process and fully embracing the cosmic assignment of being human, you will view yourself in a higher light. And that building of self-esteem is so healing. We want to do good. Our deepest, sweetest, youngest parts like want to do good and be good. It's hard. There's so many pieces to balance in what I call the earth journey, right? Which is like our cosmic assignment as being human. But money is a massive part of the earth journey, the material, you know, the earth, the pentacles, like all of that, like that is just deeply essential human work. And being human is your most important spiritual task right now, or you wouldn't be doing it. Finding a way to be a better human is really intertwined with finding a way to kind of like reconcile with material peace, peace and material existence. And it is not an accident that you're born now here in colonialism, in capitalism, late stage global capitalism. You know, your deep spiritual purposes are so important. I really just believe that money within capitalism, it's an undeniable thread of this life. Thank you so much. Jesse, Susanna, I know people are going to want to work with you. I know they're going to want to know how to connect with you. In our final, final moments together, can you let us know how can people work with the Money Witch or at least benefit from more of your financial magic? Sure. Uh, I have a beautiful new website at moneywitch.com and you can find 
um, you know, all my writing and podcasts and all that there. So that's like a free accessible way to do that. I have a Patreon that starts at $5.55 a month. So that's a really great way to get a little bit of access to me at a sort of like lower price point as well. I have a wait list people can get on for coaching off my website. And that is a great way to um, find out when I have available appointments. I have money magic products. I make elixirs and oils and tea and mm. everything's at the shop. So uh, on the website. And in terms of social media, the place that I am the most actively is Instagram and that is money.witch. Perfect. And I'll also add that you have a few documents that you share for free and resources that you share for free for people who are like doing their taxes and Mm want to know what deductibles they might be able to take. You have YouTube videos that are up. I mean, you are everywhere, my friend, and we are so (laughs) lucky for it. So Jesse, Susanna, thank you so, so much for sharing your time and your wisdom and your green energy. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Pam. That's it for the show. Thank you again to the money witch, Jessie Susanna Carnatz, for sharing her compassionate financial enchantment with me. And I hope that you will all consider doing some money magic yourself and join me in donating to support Ukraine. I've been donating to an organization called Nova Ukraine, which is offering on-the-ground support to Ukrainians, but there are many others out there. Thank you so much for considering. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the witch wire. The Witch Wave is a phantasmophile production written and produced by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was recorded and edited by Josh Wilcox and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and I by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Laura Antal, and Cece Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now by Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and give us lots of sparkly stars. It really, truly makes a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at witchwavepod. And you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the app store. Please consider ordering my book, Witchcraft, or picking up my book, Waking the Witch, which is available everywhere now. And if you want more Witchwave or you would just like to support the show, please join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.